Amen. You guys have a good week this week? Yeah, one person did. Praise God. <laughs> Everyone else had a bad week. Well, we'll try to teach on how you can have a better week this week. Amen. I'm going to turn in your Bible to Psalm 77. No, the teens can't wait till afterwards. Um, they have a teen activity today, so they'll be um, having fun being a part of. Hopefully, they're looking forward to the Word of God today, too. Amen? <laughs> and uh, let's see, there's something else I was going to mention. I forgot. Oh, this week, I'm going to be taking a few days to um, just kind of brainstorm, pray, reevaluate um, things here at the church. Um, not as far as totally redoing church, but just to kind of reflect on things, where, where our strong points are, where our weaknesses are, things to improve in. And um, if you um, maybe have any ideas for ministry, um, things that we could do as a church to be more efficient, effective, um, feel free to send me an email this week. Um, tomorrow or Tuesday would be best. Today, tomorrow or Tuesday. And just give me maybe some different ideas. Um, we're not trying to do a seeker-sensitive survey, so to speak. We're not trying to ask the world, like, hey, how do you think church should be? And we'll make our church be attractive that way. But it's a body kind of brainstorming. You know, what are ways we could improve in and um, really try to do better. There's all kinds of different areas, you know, whether it be children's ministry, outreach. And sometimes it's better for simplicity. You know, sometimes we get too many things going on that we're just barely struggling to get any of it done. And so some, some things I'm going to be evaluating, narrowing our focus, um, do a few things exceptionally well. Um, but there may be something, maybe there is a ministry or something you have a passion for, and maybe we could incorporate that into the, one of the ministries of the church. So sometimes addition's good, sometimes subtraction um, could be good. And so, but if you have any ideas, anything, um, go ahead and shoot me an email at pastor at napavinebaptist.com. Okay, but Psalm 77. Psalm 77, and I'm going to be talking about depression today. Hopefully, on how to help you crawl out of depression if you're going through a time, a season of depression, or it could come in the future, uh, or maybe just how to better cope with things. Maybe not completely depressed, but maybe there's something going on in your life where it kind of discourages you. And so just kind of talking about crawling out of that. There's many great men of God and women of God that have suffered through depression. You know, you look in the Bible, you look through um, history, Charles Spurgeon, who um, many of us maybe look at as like, man, a great Baptist preacher in the 1800s. And yet one of his main battles in life was depression. I can understand, you know, okay, you know, having a church of a very large size pastoring, and you know, the Bible says you rejoice with them that rejoice, and you weep with those that weep. And so sometimes, you know, as pastors, you know, you kind of, even though it's someone else's life, even though it may be a sin issue they have, it's like you grieve for them. 
and where you see like maybe people make wrong choices and it leads to terrible things in their life. And sometimes you kind of wish, oh man, I just wish you could kind of help them. And we try, you know, we try to give biblical counsel and everything. But we can't live everyone else's life for them. And you know what? Maybe even you, you know, maybe not as a pastor, but you see family members or friends that are making a train wreck of their life. And sometimes that discouragement could cause you to end up being discouraged, which then could get you to be depressed. And so... It's no fun being depressed, is it? Anybody just go like, oh, I just love being depressed. It's my happy place. I don't think so. Psalm 77, verse 1. We see Asaph um, is written by him, but he's going through a period of depression. And he goes, I cried a new God with my voice. Even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night, and ceased not. My soul refreshed to be, refused to be comforted. You ever feel like that? You know, you're trying to get rest, but your soul just refuses to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Siwa, thou holdest mine eyes waking. Tired, exhausted. Your body needs rest. But your eyes stay awake. Your mind is running. And then your body doesn't get the rest it gets. Because the mind is still going. Your eyes are kept awake. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You know, I've seen people where, in my self times, where it's like you just can't explain why you're down. Sometimes maybe you don't even understand why you're discouraged, why you're down. Why you're maybe depressed. That maybe you can even see, like, man, things are going good. There's nothing major, terrible that happened. But there's something that's bothering me. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Have God forgotten to be gracious? Have He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Selah. Time where you've maybe feel like God doesn't hear your prayers anymore. It's God even listening. You feel God is silent. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would use your word to edify, to exhort your children. That if there's anybody that don't know you, that they'll learn to be a child of God today. 
that you give us an abundance of joy. But as we see throughout the Scriptures, we see throughout history, there's been times where some mighty good Christian people went through bouts of depression. Times where they struggled. They wept for themselves or their family. And only, Lord, You can help bring us out of those kinds of situations. Let's pray, Lord, I ask You that You would use Your Word today that perhaps it would be used to help someone come out of depression, to help someone to come out of those battles, the mental anxiety that keeps them down, that keeps their life a roller coaster where they're feeling happy one moment and then very down, down the next. Pray, Lord, that You would help Your children to live in victory. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, there was a Christian psychologist years ago who was interviewed on one of America's well-known Christian radio programs. I didn't know of it. Um, I don't usually listen to the radio. But <laughs> there was a well-known radio program. And the host asked, How do you feel about telling a child he shouldn't do something because the Bible says he shouldn't do it? And the psychologist thought about it for a while and said, well, I have mixed emotions about that. I'm a little nervous about using the Bible as a club to beat people over the head. You know, of course, we don't use the Bible as a club. Okay? We use it as a sword. <laughs> Even better. But, no, we don't use it to beat people. We let the Word of God work in people's lives as we give it. But to refer to using the plain teaching of Scripture, um, the commands, the warnings, um, the inst instructions um, that's in the Bible, it's being repressive um, toward people, shows that the psychologist really didn't have a clear understanding of how God uses His Word. You know the things that God's Word talks about that makes us feel guilty? You know what? That's for our benefit. You know, if we, if we start walking with the Lord, we yield to the Spirit. You know what? The guilt goes away. But the guilt will often be used to guide us in the right direction. Now granted, there's sometimes where we as people, we could feel guilty about stuff we shouldn't feel guilty about. It's just our mind wandering and it could get us down. That we um, think of every little shortcoming or maybe our child said something wrong and then we start thinking, oh, I'm such a failure as a parent. Um, or we see our grandkids, you know, maybe they make a wrong decision and we start thinking back, how could I have done things differently? And then it ends up getting us down. But the Word of God is used to meet real needs of our souls. Unfortunately, some Christian psychologists of today have the same philosophy that when it comes to topics like depression, even Christian psychologists tend to approach it primarily from a psychological perspective instead of first from a scriptural standpoint. And so as long as it is consistent with the Word of God, psychology can be helpful. 
but to the extent that it is inconsistent with the Word of God. And even Christ teaching or coaching people contrary to what the Word of God teachings, teaches is unhelpful. You know, as Christians, we ought to be careful that any counselor we go to knows the Bible as it's their main source. Their main source of encouragement. You know, it should be really in all levels of life. You know, as you know, we went to a conference that deals more with um, business online selling. And even there, you know, they, they, they gave an emphasis on the Bible, the Word of God in business. Um, that there's ancient wisdom and proverbs and all throughout the Bible. That if we don't start with the Bible, then it's going to lead us to failure. It's going to lead us to making the wrong choices. And so often in Christian counsel and her psychology, that there, there is a focus on the textbook of man rather than the textbook that God has given us. And so counsel, and we ought to really take heed to the Word of God. You know, I remember, you know, Alan was just kind of talking with somebody you know, they were kind of seeking him, just kind of getting a little bit of counsel and just kind of talking about seeing this counselor. And then Alan brought up, goes, well, have you thought about, you know what, talking with preacher, you know what, talk, talk going through the Word of God. He goes, your counselor is a complete secular counselor, and they're going to have a different mindset. Um, then they're going to have when it comes to, say, divorce. Um, say you're trying to get your um, spouse back. Uh, you know what, many of them may say, you know, it's going to be better for you if you just leave and be on your own. They're not going to come from a scriptural mindset. And so we should start with the Bible. And the Bible has much to say about depression, and we're not even going to be able to get to everything about it today. And you'll be, you'll be glad. <laughs> But um, we see it with Asaph, his psalm begins with a tone of hopelessness. He feels hopeless. He feels this God has forsaken him. He's seen God work in the past, but now he feels God is gone. That he will never himself rise out of being depressed. But yet we do see that as we read on, he unlocks the victory um, so he can get over his depression. But there are many different expressions of depression that we see. And with different people, it could be different. Some people, it's going to be all of these. Some, it may be part of these. Um, but let's get some feedback. What are, what are some ways depression manifests out? What are some expressions of depression? Okay, yeah, withdrawing. Okay, you start to isolate yourself. You pull yourself away. And, you know, I understand, you know, there's times where, okay, you know, okay, this week I'm going to take time away. I'm going to spend more time in prayer, more time reading the Word of God to um, get, get, get rid of the distractions of the world and really just pray and meditate. But I'm not doing that because I'm isolating myself through a depression. I'm doing that just I want to be able to spend some more time with the Lord. But when we isolate ourselves to the point of where we're like, we don't want to be around people because we're down. Usually, we're going to get more depressed. Usually, we're going to get discouraged. 
You know, I understand, you know, if someone grieving, you know, maybe they lost their spouse, and you know, they want, need some quiet time so they could grieve before the Lord and not make it be as public with it. I understand that. But when we withdraw ourselves for a long period of time, that's one way depression manifests itself. Some others. What's that? Okay, yeah, you see in their countenance. Okay, you, 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 they, you could tell that they're down. Yes, Amy? Anger. Okay, yeah. You know, you get so down and, you know, you just, to try to fight back, it comes out in anger. Anybody else? Okay, just tired, just fatigued. Okay, yeah, get, get, you know, you, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of odd, okay, okay, depression, you think of it, okay, it's, it's more of a mental battle. It's not a physical battle. Now, physical exercise can help the mind better, so that can be healthy for that, but it's just a mental thing, and how much more it could wear you out than running a mile, running two miles, five miles. Depression would drain you. Anybody else? Thoughts of suicide. Yep. Anybody else? Any kids? Any kids ever get depressed? Probably not. He's just full of joy. You know, no wonder Bible talks about the faith of a child. You know what? There's just that joy. But there are some kids that have gone through depression. You know, you think about the children that don't have a father in their home or maybe lost their mother. Um, to death, you know, a lot of things that could shape a child, um, things he goes in life. Uh, one of them, um, kind of related to being fatigued, but yet having the inability to sleep. Inability to sleep at night. It affects us mentally, but it also affects us physically. And um, physically, we may be exhausted, yet our and ready to go to sleep, but our mind keeps churning with fear, worry. It's so you see, it says, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I just can't get to sleep. When our body needs rest the most, depression won't let us sleep. Lack of sleep takes a heavy toll on anyone. I'm getting practice at it, so I'm getting better at it. Man. Was up a little bit late. I was planning to go to bed early last night too, but was up a little bit late. Went to bed, woke up an hour later, was up longer again. Wasn't depressed or anything, but just woke up. But that too long can take a heavy toll on any of us. And um, giving our problems to God and going to sleep is easier said than done. And that's on the good days, so to speak. And so depression is that it's not always so easy to identify um, that specific worry. Sometimes you do. You know right away, this is what I am worried about. But there could be times where it's like you were worried about something yesterday and you forgot what it was, so you're worried about what you forgot you were worrying about. That ever happened to anybody? You're worried because you forgot what you were worried about. Okay? And that, that can happen. They keep you from sleeping. And so, in a general sense of wakefulness, it is keeping us from the rest we need. 
in articulate speech. <clears throat> As we read earlier too, beyond the difficulty in sleeping, sometimes it can make it hard to describe what is going on in our hearts. The psalmist says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He's so overwhelmed. He just can't even talk about it. And you know, many times those that are depressed, you know, maybe someone's trying to help them, and, and the person will just say, though, I'm not sure I could even explain it to you. I mean, sometimes it maybe it feels like I'm going to feel silly telling someone this. Sometimes it's just heavy and you just can't really explain it. It'd be so ingrained in us that we can't find the words to express our emotions. And then as Amy mentioned, sometimes it'll just come out in anger. So we either can't talk about it or it comes out in anger. And then we feel guilty because we have the anger. And so then we stay depressed longer. We'll also have an incorrect sight. Uh, incorrect vision um, or, of, what, or of what reality is. It, it twists the way we look at life. You know, when we look to the past, um, we can maybe think, it seems like life was so much better back then, so much easier, so much happier in our past. When we forget maybe some of the hardships things. But we see, he says, I have cons- in verse 5, I have considered the days of old. The years of ancient times. This could be a bad thing and it could be a good thing. Here he's in this state of depression, so I'm going to assume this is a bad way of looking at the past at this time. He goes, I call to remembrance my song in the night. And so depression has a way of clouding our vision. Keeping us from seeing things how they really are or magnifying it to be a greater crisis than it really is. You know, some of you maybe saw on the news of, um, about the woman that she got 10 years, um, which very light sentence, but um, or walking in someone's apartment and shooting them. And she says, and it says, said that, you know what, I thought it was my own apartment, and I thought there was this guy in my apartment. And so she shot him. And she's a police officer. And so she shot, shot this guy because she thought he was in her apartment. But she went in the wrong apartment. And man, if that's legitimately what happened, oh wow, how terrible that must feel. And of course, you know what? Much of the family, you know what? They're grieving, they're angry. You know, that'd be depressing to see your family being shot, be killed. And to sometimes not see full justice done. And that's where it really takes someone walking in the Spirit to really overcome. And we see, we saw that her brother, or not her brother, his brother, the one that died, his brother, had the courage to speak up and to say, I don't want to see any harm happen to your life. I know my family's hurt. I know they're grieving. I know some people are angry and they're saying they hope your hell is hot. But I want you to see Christ. I want you to find Christ in your life and to see the difference He can make. 
then that's mercy. That's forgiveness. Now they don't have the he doesn't have the ability to show the mercy, so to speak. You know what? That's jury, that's the judge. And there's still consequences to the actions that we face. But during a time that's very depressing, <clears throat> that young brother saw the need that she had. She lost his brother. But he saw the need that she had, that she needed Christ. And the media is trying to, some of the media is trying to make it a big race issue. What would happen if it was a black man that did a shooting? When really they should be looking at, well, look at this grace that this black man had. That this man had amazing grace. Great characteristic of walking in the Spirit. And then even the judge, and this probably already getting her in hot water, end up giving the person a Bible. Depression has a way of clouding our vision. Asaph, Asaph could remember he used to have a song in the night, but he didn't have it any longer, and he couldn't figure out why. The past could be a tricky place to look because we seldom have the perspective to look at it accurately. Sometimes we'll remember the good things and we don't remember the struggles that we went through. Um, Regardless of our current circumstances, though, the clouds surrounding us, we get a lot in Washington, (laughs) but we have to turn our focus upward to the Lord, to see the Lord beyond the clouds. To see him beyond the storm. We, we, we have hope for the future. As Christians, even in the middle of our darkest trials, we could realize that the best is yet to come. One of the things people do when they're down as well is inward searching. And again, inward searching can be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. Okay, it could be a good thing, you know, we're reevaluating. You know, we're asking the Lord, search our heart. But there's, in a bad sense, it could be where um, we're tempted to become our own counselors. We isolate ourselves. And then we start counseling ourselves, not with the Word of God, not encouraging ourselves like David did in the Lord, but we start justifying maybe the bad behavior um, we end up having. We see, he says, I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. And so he continued with probing questions for which he could not find the answer within himself. And if we begin to search ourselves for the answer to our problems, we are going to stay on that path. There, again, there is a type of self-examination that's good, that's godly. You know, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight commands us to examine ourselves when we're about to partake in the Lord's table. Another passage talks about examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Examine it. Those are good things. But there ends up coming to a point when we're down that we just get so focused, so consumed with it. We're searching within ourselves, but we're not getting the help that we need. And we need to look to Jesus. Here we see Asaph. He feels God is silent. The God isn't hearing him. But the answer isn't to go look elsewhere. But as Hebrews 12.2 says, 
looking unto Jesus, the offer and finisher of our faith. We're to continue to look to Him. If we only look to ourselves, two destructive things could happen. We'll either convince ourselves that we're doing well, we're doing fine, and we can become proud in it, or we'll see that we're doing poorly and become more depressed. But when we look to Jesus, we realize how holy God is. Yes, we'll see that we have a long way to go, but we'll see that we have a wonderful Savior. Jesus that came to help us, to make our burden light. But depression will also put sorrow in us. As we see the psalmist says, is His mercy clean gone forever? Is His mercy completely washed away, clean, gone, away forever? Is God not out there? Has He cast me off forever? Does God not hear me? These people seem like they have their prayers answered, but me, I'm stuck. That could be the state of our mind. And we get, just get in sorrow. We get a point where we just can't take it anymore. That if we have one more day like this, we'll explode. And then we get stressed. One of the expressions is feeling miserable, wanting to snap out of it, but having the inability to do so. Here we see that Asaph says, my soul refused to be comforted. People tried, possibly tried encouraging them, but his soul refused to be comforted. It's almost like when you're in the mood and even though you feel miserable, you're not quite able to let it go. The word depression means to push down. To push down. The problems can become so large and heavy that one reaches the breaking point. And his sorrow pressed him down that he felt like he would never be happy again. He looked to himself at the lowest point in his life, and he saw no hope for the future. <clears throat> Years ago, some scientists wanted to do an experiment. So they threw some rats in, in this container of water. And they wa watched the rats um, drown. They wanted to see how long they would swim for. So they should call them guinea rats instead of the guinea pigs, huh? They're, they're testing the rats. And so, so, then, they, so then these the rats died. And so the scientists took some other rats and did the same experiment, but took them out five minutes before the other rats drowned. Dried them up, gave them food, got them warm, and, and, and then the rats were doing fine. And then they tested it the next day or a couple of days later. And they put the same rats, they put the rats back in. And then the rats end up swimming for three times as long as the rats that die. Now there could be all kinds of different variables. Maybe they were stronger rats. But the conclusion the scientists made was, 
the rats felt like there was hope. That last time they were taken out of, they were being taken care of, whereas the first rats that drowned, they tried. And there was no hope, and they drowned. Now these other ones, they end up drowning after swimming around for triple the time. And so that was their conclusion on the matter was, there was hope, so they kept on going. And when we get depressed, though, we end up not seeing the hope. We, 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 we get tunnel vision. We don't see the hope that's out there. But in the Word of God, we can find hope. And if you find that hope in Jesus, it will help you crawl out of a depressed state when, you, when you're dealing with depression. But you really got, that's where your mind, knowing the truth, needs to be stronger than how you feel. Stronger than what you feel emotionally. Causes of depression. You know, Psalm 89 says, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. You know, based on that verse, you know what? Christians should be the most joyful people around. We ought to be the people that we have joy. You know, you were once going to hell, okay? You once were going to pay the consequences for your sin. And then you're saved. You've been forgiven by Jesus. You you have eternal life. So factually speaking, truthfully speaking, Christians should be the most joyful people. But as we read in the Bible, you see Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and history. Great Christians have still gone through times of depression. But what a joy it is to know that we could go to sleep each night knowing that we're saved. That our sins are forgiven. That the creator of the universe has promised to supply our every need. So why do... Many believers struggle with depression. If we continue, as we continue in this psalm, we'll discover reasons for his sadness, and we begin to understand why we may struggle as well. But just get some more feedback. Why, why would you think that sometimes Christians get depressed? They know they're saved, they've had a walk with God, but then now all of a sudden they're down. What are some reasons that could happen? Okay, okay, backsliding, okay. Not being in the Word of God, okay, not reading it. Maybe you had a daily routine of being in the Word, and then you're no longer in it, okay. You start to backslide. Anybody else? Any other reason why someone would get down, even though we're saved? Yeah, well, it could be, where you can see, okay, okay, taking on too much, okay, you just... Literally, overburdened with things. Okay, number one, it could be our view of God ends up becoming distorted. That when we think of our Savior, we should be encouraged. Our good, wonderful, merciful God loves each and every one of us. But yet we see He writes in verse 3, I remembered God and was troubled. 
Now you find all over in Scripture, man, they look to God, oh, the joy, the happiness. But here he remembered God, and it troubled him. And so he had a distorted view of really God's goodness. When depression grips our mind, our view of God easily transforms the kind, loving Father that He is to a judgmental, uncaring God. And we begin to blame God for our problems. Why would God allow us to be in this situation, whatever it may be? We're tempted to believe um, the aftermath of tragedy statements as, you know what, God killed my wife, or God took my mother, God robbed me of my health, or um, God caused me to be poor. Um, He took my money. Um, God's not looking after us. You will get the biblical account of Job. The fire, when one of his servants came to announce the tragedy that was going on, um, the servant blamed God. Job 1.16, he says, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and have burned up the sheep. It's God. The fire of God. Burn this up. But God was not the source of Job's trials. Yes, he allowed it. Yes, he allowed the devil even to touch him in different ways. But this was to show Job's faithfulness. James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt of he any man. We can't blame the sin we struggle with or the trials we face on God. Yes, God, maybe he will test us to prove our faith, but he doesn't test us to lead us to failure. Okay, he doesn't test us to lead us to sin. Yes, we see God tested Abraham and, and how, how it showed that Abraham was faithful to the Lord. But God does not draw us to sin. And that's one of the fallacies of one of the logical conclusions, though, of Calvinism. It's that it's okay, every single thing is ordained of God. That everything that happens, happens because God wills it. And they bring it to the conclusion is that God wills sin. That okay, you had, really had no choice, and so when you sin, that God ordained you to do that sin. Now, they usually won't say it that way, but if you take what they are teaching to its literal conclusion, that's what they teach. And some of them do, like John Piper, he'll talk about how the sin is ordained of God, the evil is, and, and, and stuff, but the Bible is very clear. God does not tempt us to do evil. God does not tempt the flesh. He does not draw us to sin. One thing, besides having a distorted view of God, you know what, on that note, on Calvinism, you know, I had a guy at the church we were at before, and the pastor changed to be a Calvinist, and then there was this guy that struggled with drunkenness. Regular Often there were times he was doing well, but then not doing well. And then he started to say, you know what? Maybe this is just how I'm ordained to be. I'm not one of the elect. And so God's going to leave me in this condition. And he never got the help that he truly needed. He, he, that mindset truly got ingrained in him. 
And then that, that, it led to bitterness toward God, which is another lasting cause of lasting depression. You know, sometimes things, when we get things by habit, think we could end up expecting it. Just imagine someone is coming to your door, they knock on your door, and they give you a $100 bill, go, hey, just want to give this to you, and then they walk off. That'd be, yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Is this counterfeit? Man, am I going to be embarrassed going to the grocery store with this? And they say, this isn't real money. Um, but it's real, okay? And then he comes the next day. Hey, just here's another $100 bill. Third day, maybe you'd be like, you know, I'm going to prepare a cup of coffee just in case he comes again. And he comes again, and then he starts talking with, you start talking to it with him. You say he does that for 30 days in a row. And then the 31st day, you know what, you're expecting that. It's become a habit, but then he goes to the neighbor's house and gives him a $100 bill. And does that again and again. And now you're forgotten. Now that wasn't your money in the first place, okay, that was his. But you start to get discontent possibly because you're used to it. That's what you're used to getting and receiving, and now it is taken away. And so, in, in, in that sense, people could get depressed because they're not getting what they used to have. They're, they're, they're waiting and waiting. Um, just this with the $100 deliveries, everything God gives us is a gift. God doesn't owe us anything. And, yet, and the Bible tells us, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God's given us innumerable gifts. Salvation. When we think about what we were before Christ rescued us, we're reminded that we never have grounds for bitterness towards God. But having a wrong view of God will cause us to become frustrated because God won't respond the way we think He should. Like, why isn't God responding to this? Why are these people being successful over here? Why is it a struggle with me? Why is this person getting a promotion at a job? I've been working here longer. Whoever it might be, we start to feel entitled. And we started to distort to think that God is a magic genie instead of a God that He'll do as He wills. He'll do as He pleases. And yet He is a gracious and a loving God. We look at the story of Lazarus. We see a miracle. We see two sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a brother who was ill, and he died. And knowing Jesus could have healed him, they both came to Jesus with the same complaint. It was, they, met, they met with him separately at separate times, but they gave the same complaint. Okay, they've seen the miracles that Jesus has already done. And in John 11, verse 21, he said, Martha, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Have you been here? He would have been fine. And we see Mary in verse 32. Was come where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Starting to feel like, hey, God, if you were here, 
This wouldn't happen. And when we are depressed, when we are completely down, even though we may not verbalize it, yet many times we will verbalize it, that God, why aren't you here? Why did you not help in this situation? Where were you, God? Why am I suffering this defeat? But Jesus didn't deal with their problem the way they planned. And they were upset about it. They were down, discouraged, depressed about it. Okay, maybe you shouldn't say upset, but they, they knew if he had been there, he could have been fine, fine. But then Jesus raises him from the dead. Instead, raises him up. Okay? Literal zombie. <laughs> okay? But except for this one was alive. He's alive and new. Okay? He, he, he's fresh. Okay, it's not like a walking dead or anything like that. But he was dead, and now he is walking, and he is alive. Now, who would want to trade God's way for their way? What an amazing miracle to see. Probably would have been frightening, too. Okay, That would have been pretty frightening. You see someone that's dead, and all of a sudden they get up and walk out. Okay, But probably their joy of seeing their brother overcame that fear. They're like, wow. They were amazed. And many times, the hard things in your life could be God has them there for a purpose. That all things will work together um, to them to love God. They're called according to His purpose. But you need to trust in Him. That's where, again, you got to let your mind and the Word of God, your knowledge of the Word of God, to be stronger than what you emotionally feel. You know, you look at a lot of the failed social programs, um, political programs, a lot of mistakes, they were all made based out of emotion. Okay, yeah, they're like, hey, okay, give free health care to everybody. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a noble thing. And you know what? They do have access to health care. You know what? When I've gone to the ER, they have never asked me what is it, what, what's in your wallet. Okay? They, they just take care of it. But emotionally, people think, oh, this is a good thing. And they try to force it. They try to mandate it. Where logically, it's maybe, probably not going to work out financially. Okay, there's different things where we got to think factually, here specifically, um, about the Word of God in our life over how we feel emotionally about a situation. When there is nothing good you can see in your situation, we must get ourselves to understand that God is sovereign, that He is the supreme ruler, that He does see. He sees the good. He sees the bad. Nothing is hidden from His sight. And so we must trust and depend on that, that He has a master plan that He's working out behind the scenes. Instead of allowing our circumstances to make us lose faith, in His goodness and His love, choose to trust in Him. Trust in Him. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we then say to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? God is there for us. The depression does not happen when we have a right view of God. 
Now, there may be times where we have a right view of God, but then we have a wrong thinking that leads us to depression. Another thing that could cause us to be depressed is doubt. Doubt about God. We see that in verse 7. Psalm 77, verse 7. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Does His promise fail forevermore? Have God forgotten to be gracious? Have He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Instead of trusting God, He had doubt about God. And when we're in the trial, it's easy to question God instead of resting in His promises. Sometimes we feel like we have to understand everything. But we got to remember we need to walk in faith. The questioning spirit towards God can be what leads us to be depressed. Doubt won't accept what God chooses to give us, but faith does. And so when we begin to doubt what God, that God will keep His promises, depression finds an easy door to enter in. So a cure for depression. Okay, now this doesn't mean that depression won't ever come back. Okay, you know what? While you're in this body, while you're in this flesh, there will be a battle. There'll be a spiritual warfare battle. There'll be a mental battle. But to become, crawl out, to overcome depression and not stay in there. Um, we, we read on. You know, you, you uh, put aside your feelings, your emotions. And we see in verse 10, things start to change, make a change. He goes, and I said, or verse 9. First it says, um, okay, first it says Selah. Selah is like a musical pause. And it means to stop, pause, think about it. To reflect, to examine. And he says, and I said, this is my infirmity. Okay, this is my depression. This is why I am down, okay. But this is, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. It's as if he is saying, you know, everything I've written in the last nine verses are, is true about the state I feel, but it is not the truth of who God is. It's how I feel at the time, but it is not true of who God is. I'm struggling right now, and it is what it is, but I'm not going to blame God for my struggle. And if you get that, that will help you climb out of being in a depressed state. He didn't stop there. Remember before he said, I will remember the years earlier, he said, um, he, when he thought of God, he was troubled. But now it says, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now he's not being troubled, Michael. Now when he sees God, when he thinks about God, he is not being like, oh, I'm afraid. I'm troubled. I'm disturbed. No, now he sees God's right hand. He sees his right hand is of power, of deliverance, of blessing, of strength, of salvation. That he remembers that God is wonderful, that he's stronger, that he's powerful. When we're depressed, we look at God through the lens of sorrow, not the God of power. We only see the bad instead of recognizing how God has wonderfully sustained us. 
And so some ways, I'll try to hurry up here, to cure depression in your life is recall God's blessings. Okay, don't recall it in a sense of, oh, it was good back then and it can't be good now. No, but look back at, wow, God was there for us. God helped us through that trial. God helped us through. He, he realized that part of the cure of depression was remembering the blessings, the answered prayers, the way that God has worked in their life. When Samuel was judged over Israel, he set up the Ebenezer stone um, near the city of Mizpah to commemorate the victory over the Philistines. Now when the Philistines were there battling them, that wasn't all a bed of roses. That was obstacle. That was hardship. That was tragedy as people died. Those, those were difficult times. But they end up getting the victory. Ebenezer means the Lord have helped us. In 1 Samuel 7, 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto have the Lord helped us. And so that was to be a memorial. Now, you know what? God helped us here. You know what? The struggles that Israel maybe goes through today, through in the past, they could remember that. They can remember, you know what? The Lord has helped us in the past. He can help us again. And so we too need to have things in our life to remind us of how good God has been. Maybe you could start with a detailed list of answered prayer requests. You know, don't just write your prayer requests. Write down when they were answered. And it's awesome to see, wow, God answered that prayer. But if we don't write it down, we forget about how God answered that prayer. Unless we really take time to reflect, to examine it. You know, maybe you could start journaling the ways God has spoken to you through your devotions. Psalm 31.19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Man, how great is God's goodness. Which God's laid up for them that fear Him. Those that fear God. Those that follow Him. God has abundance of goodness for them. Number two, remember God's works. In addition to remember the personal works God has done in our lives, we need to remember the public works. So in verse 11, he goes, I will remember the works of the Lord. I'll remember the works of the Lord. And so he realized that meditating on the works of God is part of the cure for depression. Just by speaking, God created everything in the world. Just by speaking. God said it, and it was. Hezekiah prayed when the Assyrians besieged Jerusalem. It's a
them delivers. And so when they're in bondage now, when you feel enslaved to the mental battle of depression, remember the works God has done in the Bible that we see, but remember the works God's done in your life. Remember them. Think upon them. Refocus your mind, thirdly. Okay? The Bible says um, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 12 of Psalm 77, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Meditate upon God's work. Think upon his doings. Talk about them. Our outlook on life is determined by what we meditate on. You meditate on emptiness, it's going to be empty. It's going to be vain. You meditate on the things of the Lord, it's going to be filling. You meditate upon something that did not work out well. You know, some things just went terrible, had a terrible incident. You think about that all day, all week. It's going to wear you out. But instead, use those hardships as times of opportunity or times of hope. Say, you know what? God's worked things out. And you know what? Say our children's life. You don't like to see your children go through struggles. But maybe God is using that struggle to help build their character. Maybe it'll help your children, grandchildren, to see, to have a need to be more caring to other people. Because maybe they were mistreated. To look at things, God, I want you to use this as a purpose for your glory. And one thing that will definitely help us overcome depression is rejoicing. And sometimes we've got to train our mind. It's, it could be a battle, but we need to learn to rejoice, to praise God, even out loud, for His goodness. We see in verse 13, he says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God. Before he's thinking of God and he's troubled. Now he's thinking about how great God is. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Man, think about that some more. Dwell upon that. That there is a Son of God willingly gave up His life so we could be a part of His family. Think upon that. You know, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. When we can't find anything else to rejoice in, we can rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 77, 19. I've never really, I've read the Bible through over and over, but this verse really stood out to me. In verse 19. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters. Okay, we see it with the Red Sea. Okay, God did amazing things in the sea. They parted the waters. His people crossed. And then the waters came down and destroyed the enemy of God and of the people. He goes, and thy footsteps are not known. It's as if God was walking across the Red Sea with them. They don't, they don't see his footsteps. Okay, so it's not like a poem where you see the footsteps. Many times you don't see the footsteps. 
You don't understand all the time how God is working in it. You don't know how God is going to use it in your child's life, in your spouse's life. You don't know the steps of the Lord, but they're there. God is working. God gave deliverance to the people of Israel over and over. And just because you don't see the evidence of God's presence does not mean he is not at work. That's where we need to trust in his promise. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You may not in the moment see God's footprints. You may not see God's hand in it. You don't feel it. You don't emotionally see it. But we must trust in God's word that he will never leave us or forsake us. There are seasons where God seems to be silent. And that's where we must meditate on God's goodness. Believe that even when his footsteps are not known, that he is there with us. Rising above depression often doesn't take just, you don't usually overcome it, boom, just in a moment. Sometimes it's a, it's a training the mind, renewing the mind, and it may take time. But it takes place in the choices of many successive moments as we choose to rejoice in the Lord regardless of how we feel. And if we're in the middle of an overwhelming battle, trusting that there's hope, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. God does not want us to live in captivity to depression. Now God will sometimes use it. We see God use depression in Elijah's life. He used it in Jonah's life. We use it to get them out of it, to point them, to get their focus right. And so when you face depression, understand, believe, trust in God's word that he wants you to live in victory. And with the Lord's help and power, you could rise out of being depressed. But let's go ahead and stand for a song of invitation. We're going to end in a song. I know we went a little bit later today, and I want to apologize, but we should never apologize for preaching the word of God. Amen. Um, to go ahead and turn to Psalm 362. I surrender all.